Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that's engaging and transforming, and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around us. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey, several ways you can do so. Catch us on all of our social media, on our Facebook page, the Zero Network on Facebook. On Twitter, the show handle is at Zero Radio. My personal handle is at Lorenzo T. Neal. Also, we're available on all your podcasts, your Apple Podcasts, your uh, iTunes, Anywhere you can think of, we're available, so we appreciate you for following us and joining us, and thank you so much for all you're doing. This is a solemn show. We're going to be honoring uh, and discussing Kobe Bryant, but particularly uh, how death affects us um, and finality of life and getting a hope beyond death, because a lot of people have been asking questions you know, about God and God's will and how could things like this happen and we're going to talk about that because those are things I think we missed the mark on as a Christian church in particular but also as humans Um, and so we're going to talk about that uh, in the second half of this broadcast but first uh, I want to jump in on uh, recent news particularly political news um, the impeachment trial has been going on now for about a week and a half, maybe maybe less than that. I don't know. I really haven't been paying attention. Honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I think uh, this whole process has been kind of a sham. Not that uh, President Trump hasn't done anything worthy of impeachment. I thought, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, I, I honestly thought that when he was running in primary season that he would not make it through the primaries because of, you know, he's Donald Trump and all the hits that he took during the primary season from, from very, (laughs) from seasoned political uh, candidates, Mike Huckabee, uh, who else? Um, Perry from Texas and um, many others uh, from uh, Ohio. I, I could I could call it a number of candidates who would have. Uh, I actually preferred over Donald Trump. I mean, being that I you know I identify as a Republican conservative. Well, not so much. I'm more independent now, and uh, I, I'm actually actually when it comes to if you really want to know the truth about me when it comes to political. Uh, Perspective and persuasions. I'm a, I'm a classical liberal, in in that sense. I believe in individual rights, so I'm more libertarian leaning, uh, conservative, or libertarian leaning. As are most individuals. You'd be surprised how common we are when it comes to classical liberalism. We are, we pretty much all share some of the same values as humans, and those values get, you know, they get warped. But anyway, I digress. I, I didn't want to get into that, so you know uh, my political ideation. But this uh, 
this presidential election cycle has it's just been I don't I don't know how to describe the last two political uh presidential election cycles. Well, I'll say the last three. I'll, I'll go to 2012. 2012, 2016, and 2020 uh, election cycles have, presidential election cycles have just been, it, it's been horrible. It, and we've been pretty much relegated to choose the least of two evils. Uh, and, and, and not speaking of the individuals as evil, I'm talking about the overall concepts and overall processes. Uh, Backing and promotion and all of that. It, it, these last three cycles have just been terrible, and we've ended up with some terrible candidates. I mean, how in the world did we end up with Donald Trump as, <laughs> as a candidate and now president? But we, you know, I have to give him laws just as I gave President Obama, even though I did not agree uh, policy wise with a lot of things President Obama did. Um. I do not agree a lot of things morally with President Trump. President Trump has done, but when it comes to the economy, when it comes particularly for the black uh, community, we have the lowest unemployment on record. We have the highest. Uh, we have a gain in um, in in uh, in our society and in, in class and wealth, and, and it's gaining, and that's a good thing. Um, now we should not give all that credit to Donald Trump, and I, I I don't know why some people do, but you know, he he has he has done something in the last uh, two and a half to three years that he's been in in the office. He, he you know he's been what he said he's going to be. He's not a politician, and he certainly has not been a politician. He's been a tough negotiator, and we have yet to see the results of some of the negotiations that he's done, particularly with the tariffs and with some of the trade deals and all of that. We have yet to see the results of that. But uh, what I do know is that his administration um, rolling back some of some of the things from previous administrations has actually helped jumpstart the economy. And while I don't like some of the rollbacks, uh, <laughs> Some have been good and beneficial uh, to uh, Americans overall, and I don't have to agree with him <laughs> on some moral issues. I believe that he's a petty individual, <laughs> and that's just true. I think he's one of the most pettiest uh, uh, individuals um, in the country, but then again, he can do that. He's an old man. You know how old people do? Old people get to say what they want to say. <laughs> I'm making light of it, but it's kind of serious. I, I wish he were a bit more, um, as it were, say, presidential on the on the domestic front and on the foreign front. But um, some say he's getting the job done. Others, as uh, Congress has deemed, he's worthy of being removed from office. And um, I, I don't. I have not been following the the trial. I think I followed the opening day when um, Representative Schiff made his opening arguments, and they seem to be making the same arguments that they made in the House that got impeachment. But uh, honestly, I don't see any evidence or credible evidence. Let me put it that way: credible evidence. I I think he should have been censured a long time ago. I think the best move to set up impeachment should have been censured. He should have been censured for many of his acts uh, in, in the first few <laughs> uh, few months of his presidency. Um, but we shall see what the outcome of this impeachment trial will be as the senators uh, continue to hear and hope for witnesses, witness testimony, and of course the the latest bombshell, there's always some kind of bombshell. It has been that way since uh, President Trump announced in 2015. There's always been some kind of bombshell, and it has always slid right off his back. He's never, he's the Teflon Don, literally. Uh, Teflon Don, stuff is just rolling right off him. Scandals that would have broken other politicians would have definitely ended the careers of many politicians, uh, have, have just not infringed on on him at all and garnered even more support uh 
and you know, as he calls fake news, whatever he calls fake news, he garners more support. And as uh, mainstream media continually assaults uh, the idea of him being president and unfit and unworthy for president, even as they garner uh, uh, former allies like John Bolton. Of course, I don't know. If John Bolton is an ally or a former ally or still ally, they dropped a bombshell about his book. And, you know, the media's just for the last nearly four years have been trying to find something to get rid of Donald Trump, and it has been unsuccessful. And so may it be this impeachment trial, which means that he will not be removed from office, even though he'll be impeached and recognized as an impeached president. He can still. Uh, because he wasn't removed from office, he could still run and get reelected, which is some speculating that will happen. I hope that isn't the case, but, you know, it could be worse. It could be worse, but it's neither here nor there. That's not what I wanted, wanted to talk about. I really want to talk about, I'm, uh, you know, the Democrat and these uh, the candidates in the Democratic Party who are running uh, as primary season begins officially next month with Iowa caucus beginning. Uh I I, I just I'm I'm telling you the two the two primary people of color, Cory Booker and um uh Kamala Harris gone and now you have the exact thing that people did not want. A bunch of old white people <laughs> And I'm I'm not trying to be rude, but that's just what it is. You have wealthy, white, uh, privileged people running for a Democratic presidential nomination. And it's <laughs> with the exception of Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang is the exception to this rule. Andrew Yang is toughing it out. Um, and he's toughing it out. He's he's just a character. Who is? I don't know how to describe him, but I like him, and uh, <laughs> I, I like him. You're talking about a, a guy who is wealthy enough to be like, I don't care, and I'm just going to be me, and the people are just going to like it. And if they like it, they'll vote. And if they vote, I have a chance. And as long as I have a chance, I'm going to stay in this thing. And you got to commend them for that. But last week. While campaigning in Iowa, the good brother Yang stopped at a Baptist church in um, uh, in Iowa, and I, I can't think of the name of the church. But anyway, he stopped at this church and, as part of his outreach to, of course, the black community. And I, I don't know why white folks, liberals, think the black community is monolithic. They still have this idea, if I pander enough, if I say enough, if I do enough, I'll get enough attention from the black folk to vote. But people forget, we've never been a monolithic community. We, you know, There are still people who don't identify as American, uh, Americans of slavery descent, you know, Americans descent of slaves. There are some who would never identify. And then there are literally those uh, immigrants who identify as afro American, not African American, you know, and all of that. But we are we we we've never been a monolithic group in any any way of the matter. You know, there have been pockets of moments in history where we've banded together and put aside political ideologies and theological ideologies to to uh give a particular front, you know, on an issue, particularly during the civil rights. Uh and and um and we did that. But even in that, even in that, it was still very diverse. There was still a lot of disagreement on key, critical, core ideas. But yet, you know, we were we we are grouped together, just clumped together. Anyway, Andrew Yang goes to <laughs> he's the young he's the long shot in this in this Democratic uh, uh, nomination. But he goes to this black church, and he does something I would never have allowed at my church. <laughs> he gets up, robes up, and sways and sings with the choir. And uh, you can see the clip. It's, it's on YouTube. It's just about everywhere. And uh, he's he's robed up, and he's clapping. Pretty good. 
good job of clapping, pretty good job of clapping. And he he is swaying and you know all of that. And <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. You can tell he's genuine. He's not doing it just to, you know he's not doing it to make fun of the 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 church or make fun. He's I mean he is genuine. And, and and it comes across to me as authentic, and like yeah, I like this. I might go join the black church after this. <laughs> but of course, there are a lot of persons who will say that he was pandering, that he only did this to get an idea, you know, give black folks an idea of that. Hey, yo, I can I can hang with you all, I can chill with you all, and I can do all of this, and I can even clap on beat in the black church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> more power to him. Uh, but it's, it's it's just the fact that a Union Missionary Baptist Church, that's the name of the church, is in Waterloo, Iowa, and um, his outreach person says that as she was walking out, she heard commotion, and I'm I'm bringing this, I'm reading the source from CNN, and um, they give the article and printed some days ago, but I just, I didn't uh, I I did want to talk on it for some reason, I, I don't know, but. Uh, anyway, he did it. He's singing. He's clapping. And some people will say, "Hey, that's cultural appropriation. You don't need to be doing that, Mr. Yang. You don't need to have on a choir robe." But they let him have it. They let him do it. Hey, more power to him. And the article in CNN um, brings up some some things that I, I thought was pretty interesting when it comes to. Um, Liberals and the black community. Now, Andrew Yang has gotten endorsement from uh, some major black celebrities. Dave Chappelle is probably the most most known one. Um, he 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 has supported him. Uh, who else? Eric B. Oh no, I'm sorry. Let me let me go back. Um, Dave Chappelle, Donald Glover, um, have have endorsed his candidacy, and those are two popular um, persons in the black community for their comedy. Dave Chappelle, of course, for his comedy, and David Glover for his everything. <laughs> that dude does everything. That dude raps. That dude sings. That dude acts. He's a comedian. So for everything, <laughs> and those two guys have given his endorsement and given their endorsement too to Yang. But the the article really brings up this is this is what I really want to to, to talk about regarding this, um, how liberals really don't get it, and you can tell they are trying their best. When it comes to um, engaging the black community, I never forget. I never forget um, the only time that I ever saw one presidential candidate being really authentic was in 2008, when uh, Barack Obama was seeking the Democratic nominee nomination for president. He came to the general conference of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Uh, and the bishops of the church prayed for him. They laid hands and they prayed for him. This photo went viral. And um, it is well believed that not only was the endorsement, oh, well, well, technically we did not endorse. The church does not endorse. The bishop did not endorse. What what we do is, um, you know, we, 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 as, Acknowledge their candidacy <laughs> in so many ways, but that's the only time that I, I really was I saw a a, 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 a a at the national level a politician being authentic within uh, a black religious setting, and he did it again also in, in 2015 at the funeral of uh, Pastor Pinkney. Um, I didn't say that right, and uh, Mother Emmanuel, Pastor. Mother Emanuel Amy Church, and at his funeral, um, not only did, was he comfortable in that, but the brother broke out and sang Amazing Grace. Uh, and 
was it Amazing Grace that he sang? I believe it was. I can't remember. But anyway, the bishops of the church was there, and he delivered uh, a eulogy, one of many. And um, uh, again, he was very – he was within his element. Uh, but I never forget 2016, Hillary Clinton, who had not garnered the nomination yet, but eventually garnered the nomination for the Democratic Party, came to our general conference. And uh, what was it? Philadelphia was the 200th anniversary and the 50th uh, quadrennial conf- general conference. And she got up there, and when I say that was one of the most <laughs> – Let's just say that we there was one of our retired bishops literally sitting on the stage reading a paper while she was speaking. And I took a picture. I snapped a photo. <laughs> I snapped a photo. And I was like, this says it all. Capture this. And because she was trying to – she was over trying to pander. And, and then she did it again where she she tried to take on this Southern Baptist – Kind of orator, preacher oratory, and and try to get the the cadence right, and and the, you know all of that. And I don't feel no ways tired or whatever. And, and it flopped, and, and, and you know, and <laughs> even her most diehard people and supporters were like, "Don't do that ever again, ever, 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 ever do that again." Long story short. Um, liberals have a hard time really engaging the black community specifically within the religious context. Um, you don't see them going to mosque. I, I don't ever recall a presidential candidate going to uh, a mosque, not just for the Nation of Islam, you know, uh, any mosque. I don't. I, I can't recall. Maybe they have. I don't. I don't. But they'll definitely step in the black church. And there's uh, this article on CNN. Uh, you have Pete Buttigieg, and I, I don't know if I said his name right, uh, in South Carolina at a church event. Um, where is it? A community building event hosted by Christ Temple Apostolic Church in June of last year. And that was in Indiana. But he's gone to South Carolina. For for some reason, South Carolina is a big thing, it is a big, is a major part of the primaries for uh, both parties uh, when it comes to uh, presidential elections. Um, I don't know why that is, but it is. But anyway, there's this photo, of, and it's very awkward because Pete Buttigieg, who is an openly gay man um, who acknowledges that he has he's you know he he, he uh, professes Christianity but he's open to the game which is you know for most blacks it's still a very very <laughs> difficult thing for them to accept and yet you know he's uh, in this photo he's in this event you have two black men or several black men by him and their hands are raised, and he only has one hand raised, and it's looking like he is really trying to, I'm going to fit in. I'm going to do this. Can't tell if he's really experienced, if this is genuine, but by the the optics, just the optics, it's as if it's like, I'm going to do it, and it's going to work. And I also think about when Donald Trump went to Detroit, and um the mega church there that he attended and <laughs> this video of him in the moment where there's praise and worship, he's trying his best. He's just swaying and he's smiling and and clapping. And it was hilarious to watch. It was hilarious. You could tell he was like, I am uncomfortable, but hey, I'm gonna let these black folks know that I I can be spiritual. I can put on the act just like you all. Man, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having a blast with this. Andrew Yang deserves props for this because it's been acknowledged that Bernie Sanders, who has 
pretty much stated that he's an atheist. He's a non-believer. Uh, it's very uncomfortable pandering to the black vote, the black religious vote. And um, one report even said that he snubbed volunteers at the black church while he was there. I don't know how true that is, but it's very clear and evident that he's not really taking that path. He's like, well, the black folk are going to vote for me because I, I'm going to give free college. Or, or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I, I, I promise free stuff. That is a horrible, horrible impersonation of Bernie Sanders. But that and 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 same thing. I I don't recall seeing um, Senator Warren coming this way towards black churches. I, she may have, and I'm unaware of it, as well as Joe Biden. But then again, Joe Biden has the advantage. Uh, he has black folk calling him Uncle Joe. So. I mean, I guess that means he doesn't have to pander as much because, after all, he was Obama's vice president, so that gives him an honorary black card. <laughs> I, I don't really know what to make of it, but I, I tell you this much. I, I, I tell you this much. We – let me put it this way. The black church has long been seen as only a means to an end, not – not the uh, the end, and you see how Trump has garnered the backing of uh, Christian evangelicals here in the United States, and they are staunchly supporting him. Staunchly supporting him, and the Democrats can't rely on that with black folk anymore. They used to be able to do that, and I remember growing up when my grandfather was teaching me how to. Vote and understand the system back in the day, and this is even as as late as the nineteen early nineteen eighties. Um, you know they had the ticket, and the ticket was all Democrat, and they may still have that, but it basically told black folk, "Hey, this is who you're gonna vote for." Why? Because we're telling you this is who you're gonna vote for. <laughs> that that's just that it. Um. And now that is dissolving as more and more blacks and more and more black churches and pastors and religious leaders uh, have come onto the game and they woke. <laughs> they woke and they know their worth and the value of their their constituents and their, their membership and all of that. And they they know they have the upper hand. Regarding at least regarding that, but anyway, I didn't mean to talk about that too much. I, I really didn't, but I just thought it funny. This whole the impeachment and the uh, <laughs> Andrew Yang incident and all of that is just funny to me. I, I can't wait till these primaries start. And there's been a debate that's saying that uh, the Democratic Party is going to be split going into uh, their convention later this summer and that they will have to there there will be no definite front runner uh probably be like it was in 2008 where Hillary and Obama battled it out until the early summer when Hillary finally conceded and which gave Obama uh, the uh, the the um, nomination, guaranteed nomination, and so they may they may see an inward battle. And um, on the Republican side, <laughs> there are a couple of people who are running against Donald Trump. Uh, so Republicans, just so you know, if if Trump does get removed from office, of, and Pence becomes president, you know he has the opportunity to send to. Uh, to select his running mate, but there are also other persons on the ballot, or at least attempting to get on the ballot in many states for the Republican nomination. Hey, hey so it you know, it is what it is. Anyway, but I'm gonna take a quick break, and when we come back from this break, we're gonna talk about uh, Kobe Bryant and all those individuals who lost their lives this weekend in their horrible 
horrible crash. So we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you, I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield. Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan myself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. So if you're not aware, I am a very, very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare, and it's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy. And I would strongly recommend you, if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. Uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine, photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of. You can find it on Skillshare, so and I'm telling you, you're gonna you're gonna really love it. It's it's worth every single moment, every single class, and you'll you'll love it. You'll greatly greatly enjoy it. Go check it out. Skillshare.com/slash/zero today radio. You're listening to Zero Today with Dr. Lorenzo Neal. And most of all, we've come to sing. Welcome back to blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Welcome back to Zero Today <laughs> with your host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. I have not had my coffee all day. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for tuning in. Those of you who just 
tuning in, we're talking, uh, we just talked about the political stuff and got that out of the way, but we're talking about Kobe Bryant, finality of life and the legacy of hope beyond death. Or if you've been on a rock uh, on Sunday, Kobe Bryant and eight others were killed in a helicopter crash, um, and they're investigating it now. But also included in that was his daughter. And uh, let me read the list. Names who were killed, of course, is Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gianna Bryant. I guess that's how I said. 13 years old, and uh, nickname was Gigi. Um, Sarah Chester, she was mother of, of three, and she was flying in the helicopter with her daughter Peyton. Uh, Peyton is 13 year old, um, and she was also uh, part of, excuse me, Kobe's little. Uh, or his his mambas, that's what it was called. Yeah, John Altobelli, I think that's how his name. He's 56 years old. He was traveling with his wife, Carrie, his daughter Alyssa. Uh, John was known as Coach Alto, and he was a basketball coach, baseball coach, sorry, at the Orange Coast College. His wife uh, was also killed, and his daughter, Alyssa, was also 13 years old, and a member of the Mamas um, was killed. Ara Zobayan, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, 50 years old, he was the pilot of the helicopter, and uh, he was... Uh, he usually flew the the copter that was owned by Kobe. Uh, and then there was 38-year-old Christina Mauser. She's a coach at Harbor Day School and uh, one of the assistant coach for the Mamba's basketball team. And she left behind her husband, Madden, and some children. So it's 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 a tragedy that he lost his. I I didn't realize he was 41. I thought he was uh, at least 40, but I thought he was maybe still in his 30s. Um, and it's just sad. It's tragic. I was trying to get a clip as to why he purchased a helicopter, and in the clip, interview clip he gave, he said he purchased a helicopter. Because he was missing out on key time with family, driving in LA traffic, going to practice to home would take a you know it was a long commute, and so he he um, he purchased a helicopter to make it a shorter commute. So the commute went from from a, a long commute to a short commute, and. People recognize. I mean, I think that's one of the things that stood out about him was the fact that he had that helicopter, and he traveled to the academy where the Mambas played or something like that. I again, I apologize that I don't have all the facts. Um, it's been on the news, and you can go to any news outlet and get the basic information. Regarding the crash and the model helicopter and all of that, that that was all of that was available in uh, in the news and and the city of Los Angeles is mourning the loss. I, I saw on a Facebook a post a friend of mine did where um, they had rest R.I.P. Kobe on the buses. You know, on the back of the buses, on the little mark, marker on the back of the buses. Uh, of course, at the Staples Center, they're grieving him. They honored him in Nipsey Hussle during the Grammys. And the city is just mourning. And this young man accomplished quite a bit in a short amount of time. Uh, five-time 
NBA champion. I don't know how many times he was an MVP, but I watched him a couple of times when they came and played the Pelicans and, and down in New Orleans. And I was like, man, I'm watching Kobe O'Brien play. And Sha- Shaquille was there. He was playing at the time, too. And I'm like, these guys are really good. I uh, didn't get autographs or anything like that. I was just glad to be at the game. <laughs> so I, I did get to watch them play a couple of times. Um, and uh, and I, I don't know what else to say. But I, I do know since he since his death, of course, if you unaware, he had an incident back in 2003 where he was accused of rape, and many many people <laughs> just rolled with it. We didn't know, and unless later on it was discovered, well, the case was dismissed, and then the civil case against them was dismissed dismissed. And yet there was those not even hours after his death were were bringing that up and calling him a rapist. And they just completely ignored the fact that he was acquitted of that and reconciled and the story of the the accuser was just wrong and yet they still called him a rapist and and some others echoed that. And I, I honestly, I hate how if a black man does something, no matter how much integrity he may have had in his life, the negative is what's going to come out in his death. It, it hasn't failed. Y'all can prove me wrong. Yeah, If you can find evidence to the contrary, please do. But it, from my experience, no. They always find something negative. They got to find something negative. And the media, the mainstream media loves to to do that. And they'll they'll talk about his positive and then they'll bring up but he was also or she was also accused, you know, involved in this or that, you know, something tainted. They got to throw in something negative. But then again, they do that with everybody. I, let me let me that that they do that with just about everybody. It just seems that when a black man does it, it carries more weight to it. So the Christian Post posted an article about Christian leaders re- responding to um, his death. And you can go to that article there in the Christian Post. And several, several leaders, uh, uh, well, I won't say leaders, but prominent Christian, black pr- Christian figures like Lecrae, who's a, a rapper, um, who else? Um, I was trying to pull up the article. Um, uh, a pastor who was in Los Angeles. Uh, Kirk Franklin. Uh, one more. I'm going to pull up one more if I can. Hold on. Yeah, Rich Wilkerson, um, View Church, um, and uh, Erica Campbell and her husband um, also um, commented. But I got a lot of questions, and also uh, a lot of my uh, brothers and sisters in ministry were fielding questions uh, about death and how could God allow something like this to happen where children were killed and, or, you know, Kobe, who still had a long life ahead of him, was killed. And um, as a person who experienced trauma, uh, the trauma of death at a very young age, with my mother being killed in an act of domestic violence that involved a gun, I, 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 I I had to ask those questions early, and it doesn't get easy as a pastor fielding those questions. How could somebody who was um, a good person, 
um, die in such a bad way. Um, I'm, I'm pulling up uh, a book that I I I used at the time by Dr. Lloyd Ogilvy, who was at one time uh, Lord John Ogilvy, who was at the time one time the chaplain of the Senate of the U.S. Senate. And in his book, Asking God Your Hardest Questions, he, he he pretty much addresses some of these things. Where is God when I suffer? Is God really in control? Um, uh, what was another one? Why are my prayers unanswered? How can... I know God really loves me or something to that nature. And so I I I had a study group at one time and I and I used this book in my at several churches I pastored over the years to help us wrestle with these questions. And and the black church in particular, we don't like to question God. Matter of fact, we we when it comes to death and I had to learn to stop doing this. Don't question God. God don't make mistakes. These are some of the things that we say. You know, God, some bad, horrible things. God looked in the field and he saw a beautiful flower and he picked that flower or something else of that nature. You might have heard something like that. Either way, it's not reassuring. And those questions, particularly one. Is God really in control? Could God have prevented this? Is God really omniscient, all-knowing? Uh, why it, did God allow such a tragedy? And these questions not don't only come around when it comes to death, but when it comes to uh, a lot of tragedies. We were asking this question in 2005 with Katrina, and we saw the hundreds of persons who were killed because or who died because the expectation was this is just another hurricane we we've been through hurricanes before worse and yet they did not see that a levee would be breached causing excessive water into the city particularly the ninth ward the lower ninth ward or even after that, Hurricane Rita, that did just as much damage across southwest Louisiana, moving on up, and, and it did a lot more damage than Katrina did. <laughs> and, and think about the earthquake 10 years ago in Haiti, where thousands of people died. And people uh, like Pat Robertson were saying, well, this tragedy occurred in Haiti because they do demonic stuff, you know, so shifting the blame to the victim instead of uh, uh, the God who they serve. And, 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 you know, for a lot of people, when they can't find answers to those questions, they leave the faith altogether, some of them. And a lot of people become angry at God. And matter of fact, I wrestled with that. When my nephew was, my brother was killed in 2010, and when my nephew was killed in 2009, uh, 2016, I, I wrestled with that really heavy, especially, especially um, when my brother, I literally told him I was coming and I delayed my coming because I wasn't feeling well, and the night I did, the day I delayed my coming is the next the day that he was uh, critically injured, fatally injured. I went to my brother's hospital room, uh, and he was, you know, I guess he was doing okay, and they they were saying he may make it. I laid my hands and prayed on my brother, and we got a report from the doctor saying, hey, you know, he's going to be looking all right. He may be starting to breathe on his own. We leave the hospital, and about 20 minutes later, we get a call that he's dead. You're talking about somebody who felt bad. 
I was bad. I was I was angry. I was supposed to be this great man of faith and and I prayed, literally. I, I prayed for other folk and they had got healed and and I didn't see my brother's transition as healing. I do now, but I didn't then. I, I saw it as a lack of faith on my part. And a lot of pastors dismiss questions when it comes to things like this. Why? Why does God allow things like this to happen? And the honest answer that we should give is we don't know. God is sovereign. Uh, and and when things like this happen, we can only say, as the Lord taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm not trying to oversimplify or under-spiritualize the reality of this tragedy because there's some greater underlying things to that. You know, there was fog. There was probably some uh, engine, engine, I don't know. But Psalm 90 teaches us to number our days. We We should know death is coming there's nothing we can do to prevent it uh neither do we know how death will come upon us just a little over two weeks ago a dear brother in ministry about the same age as Kobe died while preaching in South Africa and he was presiding elder in a AME church and um up and coming leader in his Episcopal district and a wonderful young man with a beautiful family. And while he is proclaiming God's word, literally in the middle of the sermon, he dies. We we don't have answers. And neither are we obligated to provide answers. And I think that was the hardest thing for me to learn as a pastor. That's the hardest thing as a as a human is that we are not entitled to provide answers to difficult questions when we are uncertain of what the answer is and I know there's some religious folk will be saying no you should be able to give words of comfort yeah you can give words of comfort giving words of comfort does not have to include providing an answer as to why such an event happening you know when it comes to death or when it comes to any type of event that we deem tragic you know there's things we don't have control over I grieve for the loss of those children uh, those husbands and wives and parents I grieve for the loss of their siblings, for their relatives, for their schoolmates who wrestle with this, especially their middle school, you know, eighth graders. I think all three of them were eighth graders. They're 13 years old. All of them are going, all of their peers are going to have this ingrained in their memories forever. And I, that trauma, you know, knowing that your friend was killed tragically, that's something they're going to have to deal with emotionally. And I never dismiss the emotions of children anymore. Uh, it used to be that children didn't feel anything when it happened. I, I think in some ways with my family, uh, and I talked about this in my book, A Breach in the Family, the silence after my mother's death, that silence was believed to do more help than harm. And in our case, we were we were blessed and fortunate to have a great set of caregivers with my grandparents. And uh, they still had that trauma to deal with losing their child. And they, I don't ever recall them articulating until my grandmother got severely ill and um as she was in the twilight of her her life uh she began to articulate it mostly in her sleep 
But she began to articulate that trauma and that grief and all those emotions would come out while she was sleeping. And she didn't know it, but, you know, we were here and she would have night terrors. But she would call the name of my mother. She called the name of my brother. She called the name of a person she she knew died violently. And I just sit sometimes and stand over and, and watch her and, and realize there was nothing I could do. Even as a pastor and as her son. But in these moments, what we do have is an assurance that our humanity matters. Life has a final moment. We never know what that final moment will be. But it has a final moment. But it also has a moment beyond death. You can call it whatever you like to call it. Um, I believe everybody has a moment of legacy beyond a hope beyond death. Now, you might some people ascribe to this idea of reincarnation. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I, I certainly do know that once they transition and go to be and rest with the ancestors, their presence is still here. It's evident even a few weeks ago as Tony Evans and his family experienced the loss of their their mother and his wife, Lois, and it's reported that as she was transitioning, she was seeing her mother and other relatives in the room, and she pointed them out, there she is, and even my grandmother, as I said before, and I have experienced that also. There's a hope beyond death, and I don't want to put the hell or brimstone on it, and you know, there's a place for that, I'm sure. <laughs> Some folk need to be scared <laughs> to death. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, sometimes we, I think in our preaching, sometimes we ought to go back to that hellfire and brimstone and get folk, get folk ready <laughs> for death. <laughs> I, I think so, but we we need to approach death in a way that is benevolent and reaffirming that. While life has a finality, our essence does not. And, you know, I'm not getting into uh, an ontological argument or anything like that on, on that, you know, those who uh, ascribe to Platonian, I guess that's could put it, <laughs> uh, perspectives of essence, of existence, uh, or Kantian perspective. Uh, however you want to do it, uh, we know that we have to make this one life that we have matter because that's all we have, and we can do it. We we really can. So I extend my condolences to the Bryant family, his wife and his children who are left behind. I really pray for her. I'm praying for her, not just for emotional health, but for the Negroes going to be trying to knock on her door trying to wife her up, trying to do all his things. Kobe's gone, and now now they can figure they can, you know, she's a grieving widow. She's going to need a man to fill that void. No, the devil is a liar. The Lord rebuke you. <laughs> pray for, really, though, seriously, pray for her. Pray for those children, his daughters, who are going to have to grow up uh, knowing how their father and sister died and how it may impact them emotionally, how it may impact their interpersonal relationship. It, 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 yeah, I'm telling you, it goes beyond the tragedy. So, but anyway, thank you, Oz, for, guys, for tuning in. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments. This will be posted on the, on the Facebook page and also uh, on Blog Talk Radio, so leave a comment. If you haven't done so, like this um, broadcast, follow us. And again, you can visit all the archive uh, shows on iTunes, and also on the Facebook page, Zero Network, um, any other media outlet that you can get it, you can get it. We appreciate your support. We invite you to tune in next time. 
and um, support us by yeah, becoming a Patreon on patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. We appreciate so much. Thank you so much. This is Dr. Neal. Until next time, be blessed.